Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Allahumma salli ve sellem. Mubarek ala nebiyyina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve ashabihi ecma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla ve ente tezgülül hazna edaşir sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala zikrika ve şükrika ve husna ibadetika ya Rabbil Kerim. Esselamu alaikum ve rahmetullahi ve barakatuhu. Okay then, so today's lesson. Last week actually, I don't think, I don't know, did we actually do anything from the text? I don't think we actually did cover anything Maybe a little bit, but I mean, it was an important lesson because we need to clarify some principles. And um, today, inshallah, we will pretty much complete, well, we won't complete, but uh, uh, we'll get through the rest of the pages. Next week is going to be the last lesson, and next week I want to um, share with you a couple of things. Next week I want to obviously finish off the entire chapter. It's a major chapter, this, which is nice. Academic year is done. Also introduce you to the the plan for next year, uh, next academic year. We will talk a few uh, dates and things like that, um, and also, um, I guess uh, look to um, summarize the entire chapter, its rulings and and the like. And also, I wanted to maybe leave you with some athar uh, uh, from the uh, companions and things like that. I think which are nice, add a bit of context to it. Um, I was reading some some fun stuff. Um, about the companions with respect to their wiping and, and some and it's nice that you are exposed to not just the fiqh the difference of opinion but also to look at the sources and see some ajib statements you know like some of the crazy stuff uh, like some of the salaf they they used to consider that there's no time limit at all for wiping like continuously you can wipe uh, continuously so uh, i mean that's something which is you know it's nice to see it nice to, be able to put it into context why is it that then you know the madahib followed uh, exposition y position um, but that's luxury, isn't it? We'll do that, inshallah, in the next session. Um, and uh, maybe if we've got time in, in this session, we'll do um, our topical uh, uh, section right at the end, which is five, ten minutes. Alternatively, we'll just watch second half of Spain and Chile. But, um, you know, we'll have to see whether it's a democracy here. Huh? <laughs> 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 or whether, what the kind of pressure is there, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I thought Netherlands and Australia would be a lame game, but that turned out to be a cracker, isn't it? And I missed all of it, man. Honestly. Disaster. You no, know, no, I saw the goal. I saw the goal. I saw the goal. I was in meetings and this and that. Anyway, all right. So, um, where are we going to be? We're going to be on page uh, seven of the notes, okay? Page seven of the notes. And the Mu'allif, Rahimahullah, Imam al-Hajjawi, says in the matan of Zad al-Mustaqni'ah, he says, وَيَمْسَحُ أَكْثَرَ الْعَمَامَةِ وظاهر قدم الخف من أصابعه إلى ساقه دون أسفله وعقبه وعلى جميع الجبيرة. One must wipe over the majority of a turban, the top of the foot from the toes to the shin, not the sole or the ankle. And number three, the entirety of a splint. So now, so this is the page. This is page seven, basically. So what, what's happening here, we've come to the section of exactly now the nature of the wiping. So far we've just been talking about rulings in terms of times and a lot of the theoretical stuff. Now is the actual physical kind of what are the hands like and what, you know from where to where and what aspects and so on. Um, and because we know that wiping is, uh, we understand wiping in its uh, sock form, meaning that's what we think of when we think of mas'h. But as we've seen already, mas'h has three clear aspects, the wiping of the turban, then the wiping of the socks, and then the wiping over a splint, an area which is completely covered by uh, a plaster or a bandage or pla uh, um, uh, cast 
or something like that. Okay, so you heard the statements of the madhab. One has to wipe over for the turban, the majority of it, not all of it, and for the uh, shoe, for the uh, shoes or the socks or the hoofs, leather leather socks. Then you, it's the top of the foot, not at the bottom. Starts from the toes, comes up to the shin. I'll explain that, and not the sole of the foot. So not the obviously bottom, and not the ankle. Okay, the ankle. Why is the ankle mentioned? <coughs> Correct, because the, the ka'ab, the ankle, is of course what is obligatory to wash when you're washing your feet, okay? So it's an important distinction to make. And then number three, the entirety of a splint. So in a splint, it's not treated like an imama, it's the whole thing, it gets the, the full treatment. And then what does that even mean, Yani? What does the entirety mean? Is that, uh, we have to be careful, right? Because when we say the entirety, there's a difference in wiping. We, we established that when we talked about, you know, when in wudu, we're talking about wiping the head and uh, we have wet hands and whether you have to wet the entire hair. And we say you wouldn't because if you did, then that would be washing. washing. And there's a clear difference in the washing and the wiping. And so just in, just by the principle of wiping, um, you don't expect the entirety of every single aspect to be covered. So when we do say the entirety of something is to be wiped, what does it actually mean? So we're going to look at that uh, today, inshallah. So that means that's page 259 then in Sharh uh, al-Mumti' which is uh, the commentary, Sheikh al-Uthameen, alayhi rahmatullah, his commentary. So he says, uh, with respect to وَلَمْسَهُ أَكْثَرَ الْإِمَامَةِ He goes, this is just basically, uh, uh, this entire section is, is clarifying what we do to the mamsuhat. Al-mamsuh, what's al-mamsuh? The wipe thing, which is based upon the wazan in Arabic of? Al-maf'ul Al-maf'ul Anything which fits the, the wazan of maf'ul From fa'ala Maf'ul means the thing which is done to So masaha Okay The mamsuh So masaha from fa'ala And Arabic language now here Just so that you're, you're keeping up to date with this So masaha is the verb Which is on the wazan or on the weight of fa'ala So when you do the fi'l The action of fa'ala to something it becomes the maf'ul. So when you do masaha to something, it becomes the mamsuah. Correct. So the mamsuah is the wiped thing. Mamsuhat, the wiped things. So a female pl- a plural, right? Okay, mamsuhat, the things which are wiped. Here we're talking about the head. Uh, we're talking about the, uh, the the turban. Sorry, we're talking about the uh, hoofs, the jawrab. The uh, jurab, that's what we call it, right? Jurab, pax. Yeah, how do you say it? Jurab, isn't it? No, 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 that's in the Arabic. Right? Jurab. Jurab. Jurab, yeah? Jurab. Right. So singular? Jurab. So it's not ju. Okay, yeah. Any jurab is in in Arab in Arabic. And the hoofs, the leather socks, and then the splinter, the cast, and so on and so forth. So, um, so what, what is it? The, the uh, Sheikh Damien says, as for the imama, for the turban, then you must wipe over most of it. And if you were to wipe on a bit of it like you can for the head, then this would not be acceptable. So, you know, for the head, we already said that yani, it's sufficient to do one wipe, uh, 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 wipe uh, maybe a portion uh, of the head in like this kind of way. Right, if you are having the 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 imama, then the imama needs to be making sure that you cover the 
the majority of it, not all of it, okay? Not all of it, not every single centimeter is to be covered. Um, that's why if So if only a juza, only if a part of it is wiped, then this is not acceptable. This is not valid, not a valid. And if you wipe all of it in its entirety, there's no problem with that. If you were to wipe all of it, okay? And, uh, but it's sufficient to wipe the majority of it, okay? And if you were to wipe all of it, go a bit further, no problem. And Shaykh Uthameen goes, it is mustahab that, and this is from the action of the Prophet ﷺ, okay, in the hadith of Mughira, that if you are wiping over the imamah to include the forelock, okay, the forelock, if there's hair, or if there's none, then the forehead, or if it's too low down, then the forehead. So this is part of, this is, it is mustahab to include that as part of the wiping over the imamah. And then, wadahir qadam al-khuf, and then the, uh, the top of the foot, okay. Now, the Prophet ﷺ, he said in the hadith of Mughira again, مَسَحَ خُفَيْهِ فَإِنَّ ظَاهِرَهُ أَنَّ الْمَسْحَ الْأَعْلَى الْخُفِ Okay, the Prophet ﷺ, uh, uh, according to uh, Mughira, he said, then he wiped his, his khufs. Now, theoretically, that could mean underneath. That could mean on the sides, it could mean anything, right? The ظاهر, the apparent, ظاهر means apparent, the apparent meaning is that he wiped on top of them, okay? Because this is the easiest thing to do, the simplest move, and so on. That's a common sense, but that's not going to help us, right? That's not common. That's not going to help us. We need something a bit further, and we have a very interesting, very interesting uh, statement of um, of uh, Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib, okay? And Sayyidina Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu taala anhu. He has a very famous statement. If this religion was based upon logic, okay, then it would have been the bottom of the khuf that should be wiped over, not the top part. Indeed, I saw the Messenger of Allah wipe over the top part okay the top the uh, top part top half or whatever top part this hadith uh, interesting it has been narrated and you can see the footnote there in point two has been narrated by imam ahmed and by imam abu dawood in the chapter of purification in a chapter the book of purification chapter how to make mas hadith number 162 and also by abu ya'la uh, who narrated it as well and Ibn Hajar, he said, Isnaduhu Sahih. Its chain is authentic. I remember in hadith studies, when you find a hadith scholar who always who makes a statement that the chain is authentic, I want you to know that he is making also an indication there. Yani, not always. It's a little kind of an indication. Yani, I want I want to say to you that when a person is delighted with a hadith from every angle, he says hadithun sahih. Because the narration is sahih. Meaning that its text, its chain, its circumstance, everything about it is authentic. When he's not sure, and this is some of the way of some of the scholars, what the hadith means, whether the hadith meaning might be contradicted by something else, blah, 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 blah. Then he'll stay away from making a judgment upon the meaning of the hadith. Maybe a bit strange for him, maybe a bit difficult for him, maybe something he doesn't understand. And he'll just stick to the, 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 the chain. 
and just just declare its authenticity and it's like you know we'll just pass it on to the fuqaha if they want to you know do some stuff with it then let them do it deal with it but from our side the had the isnad is sahih we can't fluff around with that if you want to play around with matter and try to understand what it means that's your game so they will often then say isnaduhu sahih that its chain is authentic maybe a silly question do you ever get a hadith where the isnad is sahih like you say and the hadith itself is yes Right. Yes, you do. And this is the very, very, very highest and most advanced aspect of Hadith scholarship. And this is where the, all the controversy exists. This is where the scholars discuss and not the students. This is where people call into question a Hadith in Sahih Muslim, for example. This is where we will, uh, some people will look at um, uh, another Hadith and so on. This is where we are looking at a chain and the chain by all accounts. Everyone met, everyone uh, was at the right time, right place, all the right kind of uh, conditions have been met. But the text itself contradicts something which is in the Quran, for example, or contradicts something else which is in the Sunnah, which is more authentically narrated. Okay, so this is possible. Okay, and this is called, um, this is what we would call in English textual criticism. Okay, naqdun matan. The most difficult, the most riskiest science there is that exists in Sharia. It's basically you saying, I don't think that's authentic. Yeah? It's very it's very controversial. I think last week, was it last week I was talking about, where, was that on the retreat I was talking about riba? The hadith of uh, adultery and uh, so on and so forth, yeah? One dirham of riba, I said, is worse than... Did I not mention, where did I mention that? At the retreat? Yeah? Q&A session, right, yes, yes, yes. So I was talking about, I don't know what, what the question was. Whatever the question was, um, there's a, some hadith which by their chain, by the apparent nature of the chain, we talked a little bit about this in a, a previous lesson, I, I seem to remember. But anyway, um, the chain looks great, but the text has got such a ajib kind of nature to it. Oh, yeah. yeah, okay. And so the text is there saying that one dirham of riba is worse than 36 accounts of Zina with your mother. Now the problem with that is that it's a very shocking statement, okay? A very shocking statement. And now we're in dangerous territory. Because if you're from a Western liberal background, you're like, like rah, you know, I'm not having that. Yep, and that's just your own ignorance coming through. Yes? So we don't so we ignore those people. We ignore someone who we ignore people talking who are not qualified to talk. And you're from a Western liberal background, you've basically disqualified yourself. You've got to be a scholar. You've got to be objective, you've got to be strong, you've got to be fair, you've got to be the top level. They're the only people who can deal with a narration like this. Yeah? So for example, when I did my I did analysis on this hadith, I didn't trust myself at all. And it's very important to know your own limitations because you, you see, look, yeah, a lot of people will tell you one thing, but it's another a whole different thing to accept the truth yourself. Okay? We are all biased. Even when you think you're not biased, think about it, 35, 40 years, in my case, uh, grown up in an environment breathing and living and drinking values and ethics and morals which are taught to us by neighbors and teachers and whatever whatnot okay and it's often like uh, just talking the other day about the hadith of camel urine okay in this society no one would ever think of that drinking the urine it's never going to register with me never going to like the idea yet it's hadith sahih i believe fully i mean and i can and another guy, maybe, you know, my age, who's not studied abroad and lived abroad and whatever, whatnot, got yani, a, a scholarship yani, with, uh, with teachers and been worked upon, he probably will f find a great difficulty accepting it, okay? 
Me, I have, alhamdulillah, no problem accepting it. And the majority of Muslims, mashallah, they base it upon the Iman. They think it's a test to their Iman. They will accept it, whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not. Yeah, we're going to go. And that's the right attitude, of course. If it's sahih, if it's authentic, then we need to accept it because it's you who doesn't understand what's going on. Okay? Ibn Khuzayma has a very famous statement in this, and I, I tell the students all the time. He said, if you have a problem with a hadith which seems to contradict everything, contradict another narration, contradict the any what you believe, contradict something which you understand to be the case, then bring it to me and I will reconcile between the two. Meaning that the problem is with you, not with the sources themselves. So there's a this is a delicate point. Most of the time when people try to look at, at a text and try to ascertain whether uh, this truly is correct, only the very highest of people can do it. And I mean like a Bukhari. I'm talking like a Dar Qutni. Alright, okay. And this is where we start to draw massive par- uh, massive kind of uh, gaps in knowledge and quality between people like Sheikh Al-Bani of our recent times, Rahmullah, who was a great muhaddith, but he was not faqih. He's not yani, what we can consider to be a jurist. Yani, one who we would consider going through for fiqh. Yeah, yeah, obviously, alim. But there's a difference between yani, being specialist in, in fiqh. And so, so therefore, that affects his ability and... May Allah have, as, as, the, as, as, as the Arab saying goes, may Allah have mercy upon the one who knows his limits. That then means that therefore a muhaddith of the current contemporary time, when he's making an interpretation of a hadith, we'll say, you know, we'll just kind of say easy tiger. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. We, maybe it will be acceptable. Maybe it won't be. Let's see if he's got some precedents. Let's see if he's got some big names behind him from the early times. Then we feel a bit more confident. So um, the... Uh, if you look at uh, Sheikh Al-Bani, <clears throat> there is a more inordinate number, a much higher number of times where he says, Isnadu Sahih, Isnadu Sahih. Lots of times saying the Sanad is correct, the Sanad is fine, and not going full hog on the Hadith itself. And I'm not saying that he's scared to give a ruling, I'm just saying that's the way. Whereas the earlier times, like Bukhari, he's a faqih and a muhaddith and naqid, combining all of the disciplines in one go. And so therefore, you know, um, and this is what Sufyan al-Thawri, and this is what the big imams used to say, that uh, you could give them a hadith, and just from the reciting of the hadith, they can tell whether it's from the Prophet They've got that you know, real big connection to the hadith. They can feel it. And I gave this example before. I said like a pharmacist with a, a prescription. Okay, a prescription which has been written completely fine, whatever, whatnot. But because this pharmacist has uh, dealt with maybe a million prescriptions over maybe five-year career, just over five years, He'll be able to look at a prescription and tell if it's fake just by little tiny things. You know, the things which for the majority of people who are checking it, they'll say, of course, this is absolutely fine. But because he, he just feels it, there's something, and then there's some doubt. And then what he will do is he'll make a phone call. He won't he's automatically say, this is wrong. He'll make a phone call to the doctor and he'll say, just checking about this patient, so-and-so. Have you seen him recently? Did he write a prescription? No, I haven't written a prescription. Bang, there you go. Guy's trying to get some drugs on the sly. Okay. Oh, yes, I did. Yeah. I did uh, give him drug. I, I, I wrote it out for him today. Okay, just checking. I was just had some doubts. Uh, yeah, yeah, I used, I used a different pen today or whatever, something like that. Okay, fine. So I'm saying that the scholar, when if he if he does feel some kind of suspicion, he stops and he goes and checks again early on. And that's the example that I gave with the hadith on river. That this one is a shocking hadith and it just doesn't sound right. You go back and then you do find this massive discussion going on amongst the scholars that this hadith is fabricated or is weak, etc., etc. But not just because of the language. We said before that the language itself is not... Yani, the Prophet ﷺ has used harsh language before and sexualized language before as well. 
and riba is very 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 serious we don't often you know accept that so actually it's not so shocking that such a hadith would be authentic but it does seem out of context it does seem impro- uh, disproportionate disproportionate that what you're comparing to and so on so this is an example so isnadu sahih isnadu da'if is an indication not always there's an indication that maybe the hadith has something else now Sheikh Uthaymeen, straight after narrating the hadith, he says, وَحَادَ الْحَدِيثِ وَإِنْ كَانَ فِيهِ نَظَرْ لَكِنْ حَسَّنَهُ بَعْضَهُمْ He goes, this narration, even if there's something to be said about it, فِيهِ نَظَرْ فِيهِ نَظَرْ يعني is, a, is a phrase like, يعني, it's like a يعني phrase. Yeah, there's something to be said about it. يعني it's not straightforward. It's not uh, all the way authentic to the bank. He, get, he said, حَسَّنَهُ بَعْضَهُمْ He goes, some of the scholars made the hadith hasan, not the chain, hadith hasan. Okay, now this is mostly because of the chain, not because of the meaning. Except what's, what's fascinating for me is that actually there's an issue in the meaning as well. What did we say? If this, uh, uh, um, and he says he says it now. And in the statement of Sayyidina Ali, okay, he goes. First of all, Sheikh Thameen goes, I just want to say, I have a problem with this statement. He goes, I have a problem with this, with this statement from Ali. Why, what do I have a problem with? He goes, if this, uh, Ali said, if this deen was based upon ra'i. Ra'i means opinion. Okay? Ra'i means opinion. Based upon opinion. He goes, but here, ra'i, in this hadith, means aql. Meaning common sense. Logic. Okay? That's what its meaning is here. Logic, common sense, common sense, intellectual, aql. Okay. He said, he Shaykh uh, goes, does the deen ever contradict common sense? He goes, does the deen actually ever contradict uh, common sense? He goes, no. He goes, of course it doesn't. He goes, ولكن مراد علي رضي الله عنه إن صح نسبته إليه هو بادي الرأي كما قال تعالى. This is what I wanted to show you, Yani Shaykh Uthameen's discussion, which I found very interesting. Um, he said, first of all, the deen does not contradict common sense at any stage. In fact, let's stop. Let's stop. What's this, what's this narration saying? Let's try and understand what it's saying. What did, what did he actually say? He said, if this deen was based upon common sense, then we would have wiped underneath. But I saw the Prophet ﷺ wipe on the top part. Right, okay. If this deen was based upon common sense, Sheikh Uthameen goes, hold on, this deen is based upon common sense. This deen is logical. What do you mean? This is his first point. The second point, he said, he goes, if, if this is authentically narrated, and this is now, you see now the point coming through, from Ali, in Sahih Nisbatahu, if it really is from Ali, then we need to understand this statement as ra'i, as something else. That his statement doesn't mean common sense and logic. Look at the way he, he found... I never, never heard this before from yani, uh, uh, Sheikh Uthameen. I liked it. He goes, look at uh, Surah Hud, verse 27. Now, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا نَرَاكَ اتَّبَعَكَ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ هُمْ أَرَاذِلُنَا بَادِيَ الرَّئِي Okay. 
translation, we can see that you are nothing but a mortal. Uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. Um, we can see that uh, you are nothing but a mortal like ourselves. And it is clear to see that only the vilest amongst, among us follow you. It is clear to see. This is Abdul Halim's translation, which makes it difficult to see the point. Okay, It is clear to see that only the vilest among us follow you. This is what they said, of course. Uh, this is the people of Nuh. They're speaking to Nuh salam. All right. So when he's giving them da'wah, they're like, yani, why should we follow you? Who are you anyway? He's saying, no, no, seriously. They're saying, listen, we can see who follows you. You're the lamest of people. It's so clear to us to see. Yeah, any common sense suggests that. Okay, look at it. The sense is, look at you know the people who are following you. They're the lamest of people. They're the weakest of the people. So what's the point here? Okay, they said common sense. It's clear, right? And what were they making their judgment on? They were making their judgment based upon what they were seeing. But what they were seeing was not a considered appreciative view of who that people were. They were making a judgment based upon the uh, 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 external. They were making a snap judgment. Okay, so therefore the word Badir Ra'i, Yani, Sheikh Uthameen says, Yani, fi zahir al amr, Yani, what was apparent. Okay, so therefore, what he wants to say, what, 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 uh, what, uh, what uh, Sheikh Uthameen wants to say, is that Ra'i means what seems obvious. That's what he wants to translate as. So now, if we retranslate that statement, it would now read as, if this deen was based upon what seems obvious, then we would have wiped on the bottom of the hoofs as opposed to the top part. But I indeed saw the Messenger of Allah wipe on the top part. Now, you know what's fascinating? I guarantee you that everyone watching this and everyone here, here has never heard that translation. So, you've always heard it. It's famous narration, isn't it? You heard it before, isn't it? And logic is the word used, and common sense is the use, uh, word used. Now, the word obvious is not that different in meaning, but actually, in its implication, is massively different. Changes it completely. It changes it completely because it indicates actually that there is some kind of sense in, uh, in, uh, uh, in the. Uh, well, I, I'll explain now. First of all, one thing that we've been making clear all the way in this class, okay? What is wudu? Is wudu about cleaning? No. We said that we can do that much better with a shower and with soap and whatever, whatnot. You're not clean nothing with with trab, yani by striking it, and you're not, you know, uh, washing, yani to wash off dirt, whatever. It's a ritual, it's a spiritual ritual ablution. Yes, it's something which, which doesn't, yani have a, uh, uh, um, doesn't have a cleaning cleaning function. Doesn't have a, uh, like a, its point is not to actually. How can I say? Um, Make a person coming out completely fresh and, and you know, whatever, whatnot. The actual point is to ensure that the ruling of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is achieved with respect to a ritual ablution, following a process. It's an act of ibadah. So likewise here, actually, it does make sense to wipe the bottom part. If we were going to say that this is about cleaning, Right? That's now, now, now we understand now what the statement means. If this deen was based upon what, was, what seems obvious, then we would have wiped on the bottom. And that's right. That's completely right. Our deen isn't about what is obvious. It's fully in line with common sense and logic. But it's not about what seems obvious because certain actions 
are done purely for ta'abud. Ta'abud means worship. Why don't we pray seven times a day? There's no answer to that. It's five times. Why five times? Allah said so. Why is it that we have to wash our arms before our, uh, our face, before our arms, not our arms before our face? I mean, the, the arms, the, the hands are wet anyway, right? We've wet our hands, we've washed our nose, we might as well finish off the hands properly and then go to the face, right? I mean, that's what common sense would might argue. But no, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, to the face first and then to the arms. Why? Because it's ta'abudi matter. It's not, this is not about something which is uh, 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 there for the human mind to work out the reason behind. So this is a really interesting point. It's a really beneficial sharh that Shaykh gives to the um, uh, to this hadith. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we were able to cover that. Right, okay. So uh, any questions on that? Does that make sense, yeah? So first of all, what do we learn from this? That the narration itself has some yani, issue. It's not absolutely super authentic. Number two, we can assume it to be authentic, it's, it's workable. And if it is, then the actual translation of it is using the word ra'i as Allah used it in the Quran. Badi or ra'i. The kuffar them said, they said to us, it's clear that you lot, the only people who follow you are aradiluna. The worst, worst, disgusting folks from us. And they weren't. They, they were subhanAllah al-muhideen. People of Tawheed who followed Nuh, they were the best of the people actually. But they were making that judgment based upon their social class, their strength, their miskinness, etc. So it was a statement which they made what seemed obvious to them, but they were obviously wrong. But they said it was certainty. So using the same mention of the word ra'i there, yeah, this is the immediate thing that comes to mind. Uh, we now understand now that the, the, the statement doesn't mean logic, but it means what seems obvious. And we know that actually, if it was cleaning, then only the, the bottom part is going to get dirty. And he said, if it makes sense, if the cleaning was the issue, then you would then wipe the bottom part. But cleaning is not the issue. It's a ta'abud issue. And the Prophet uh, wiped the top part, so we follow him wipe the top part. Yeah. I'm just grappling with that issue. Yeah. That translation that you've just given. Okay. Seems obvious. Uh, change it to what? Change it to what then? No, no. I, I, I agree with you. What I'm saying is that I've heard that, the, not that translation, the, yep. the original translation okay. before. Yep. And especially in the kind of science environment that we live in, sometimes you end up thinking isn't rational yep. or follow common sense. Correct. And that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Correct. That's, the, that's one of the reasons why we must yani, challenge the meaning of the narration. And maybe, and Allahu A'lam, this is my own hypothesis from my own pocket, so don't yani, take it too seriously. Okay. That's why some of the earlier ulama were hesitant about the text. They didn't like it. Which is why they kind of stuck to the chain and criticizing the chain or authenticating the chain. They weren't overall kind of delighted with the meaning of the hadith because that required some yani, big statements. Maybe when they authenticated the chain, then they looked at the text and they're thinking, this thing is not based about common sense. Well, it is really. Yeah? So they're kind of thinking, that this hadith is saying something different. I'm believing something different. You know what? I'm just going to step back and let, let the hadith go and let you know the scholars deal with it. I mean, I, that's my own kind of thing. Um, but like I said, if you, if you interpret it like we just interpreted it, that it's about what seems obvious, okay, then it solves a lot of things. It affirms that this deen is a lot about common sense. And when it comes to that point where it's not about common sense, it's not that it's not about common sense, it's about the fact that it's a different, it's working on divine framework. It's like, uh, uh, I guess we can bring in uh, the, the topical point here now. Any kind of, I mean, obviously in a politically charged environment at the moment, where Muslims are under pressure every time, 
you're always asked to go on TV and ask, you know, oh, your opinion on this, your opinion on that. And they're not really that bothered about whether they want to know your opinion on X policy, Y policy. They just want to make it clear. A lot of these media companies and people, they just want to prove and keep proving to the wider public that the Muslims are a crazy, freaked out bunch. Which is why, instead of sticking to the topic, they will say, what do you say about segregation? Now, what do you say? We get this whole Trojan horse thing and whatever, whatnot. And that there could be something about some uh, changing about the the syllabus, whatever. And the shock and the the outrage should be about people changing the out the the uh, syllabus in a secular school. I accept that. If you sign up to that system, that's what you got to stick to. You got to stick to the secular syllabus. You can't go around changing it if that's what you signed up to. So that's a fair enough outrage. And I go onto the program. I say yes, I agree with you. If there is proof of a plot that was trying to change this, that, whatever, then that's unacceptable and it's good that the education minister got involved, whatever. But if there is no proof of a plot and you fabricated it and you've made it up and you've created all this, that, whatever, then that's a major problem. So you've already well established yourself. You've represented yourself strongly, confidently, and they're not going to stop there. They're going to say, yeah, it's interesting what was asked. They were, um, um, and this is the kind of, you know, Paxman kind of Campbell kind of line. He goes, yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. Interesting what they said here. They, 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 we're stopping homosexuality being taught and about accepting them in. Yeah. It might not be true. What do you say about homosexuality? Yeah. It has nothing to do with the topic whatsoever, but that's exactly what he wants to do. He wants to show you up. Okay. And I want to say to you that if you understand, that's why scholars generally are a lot more uh, dealt with. Uh, just if you want to know, scholars might not be necessarily uh, very eloquent or be able to put a point forward across. I mean, a proper scholar, I mean. Uh, but because they have knowledge, they'll understand how to respond to something like this far better than anyone else. Whereas you've got the eloquent, clever kind of, you know, guy who's going to just try and smart his way out of it, but not understand from a religious point of view. If a scholar who knows what he's talking about is there, he'll go straight to the issue of common sense and not. If I'm there, I say, listen, you, you want me to answer that question genuinely or are you just yeah, wanting some fun? Okay. Do you want to really understand the question from an Islamic theological point of view or not? And that's when he, they start alarm bells ringing because they're realizing that their one shot kind of, you know, one quote uh, on the papers uh, uh, a moment has gone. Yeah. But then he'll say, yes. Then you say, OK, then so then you have you have to explain to them. You say that there is uh, there are aspects of our religion which are based in the human uh, uh, sphere on a human framework, which are able to be understood and uh, 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 empirically be proven and shown process, hypothesis, etc. And there are many aspects of this religion that are in the divine framework and that which is outside of the opinion of, of mankind. Such as, for example, the belief that as Christians have, that Jesus was, was a son of God. While by your definition of God, a, a God cannot have a reproduction like a human would. So this is something which Christians wholeheartedly accept, such as his resurrection, which we all know when someone dies, someone dies, people do not empirically prove that someone comes back to life. And therefore, we show that a person comes... This is not part of the human sphere or the human mind. This is obviously talking about something divine and we are in the realm of the theological. And in the realm of the theological, we accept what we're told. We don't, un don't, we don't claim to understand what's going on. Now, they don't want this explanation. But if this explanation is given and they are forced to accept this first part, then you're bound in with yours. And you say homosexuality is something which I don't understand either. This is something which you can put forward. I have friends who then claim afterwards later that they have this, that, whatever, whatnot. And, you know, there's a difference between my personal relationship with someone who has these feelings and for me to understand what the reality and the sin and the, the trial of, of homosexuality is and our, our attitude and approach. And our scriptures say exactly that. And these scriptures are talking in a theological sense. 
And so this is not where the mind and common sense and logic can be applied. So if you're asking me for a logical explanation, you're not going to get it because I can't give it. That's destroyed his yani, thingy. He was looking for something quite a different or whatever. And I'm saying a scholar would go, a bit, uh, uh, go about an answer like that. He answers from usul. He answers from knowledge. Now, that might not be the best kind of answer for TV, but it just shows the difference about how scholars respond to a, a scenario and other people respond to a scenario. Like I said, if you understand this issue, it will help you in many, many areas. The principle, the, the application of common sense and, uh, and, 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 uh, and I mean, we call this ta'abudi matter, isn't it? A ta'abudi matter means it's a worship matter, meaning that we don't really understand why. Huh? So, but when we, we use the principle before that, yeah, that we don't put the knuckle over the upper. Yes. Yeah? Is that in the theological sense then again? Correct, correct. When we said, when we described this concept of the aql qabla naql, okay? Um, aql is referring to the intellect or common sense and naql is referring to the text. We said that the naql always is on top of the aql. Always. Okay? Meaning that if you don't understand it and it's authentic, the naql is clear, then it's the naql which is okay and your aql which is deficient. Okay? What the, the naql itself, if it's in the realm of human understanding, it makes complete sense. It is completely in parity with the aql. But if it doesn't make sense, your aql is the problem, not the naql. That's the, that's the issue. That's the understanding of the, the correct methodology of Ahl Sunnah. The correct methodology of the Salaf. Is that we, if we authenticate the naql, the sources, the hadith and the Quran, if it doesn't make sense to us, we have the problem. We just need to study more, ask more, question more, read more, do more, and we'll come to it. You have pure intention, pure yani process, then it will work out for you. Right. Um, let's quickly now finish some, some fiqh. All right. Um, so he said then from the um, so the the top of the foot from the toes to the shin okay from the toes of the feet obviously uh, to the shin now and he also said and Sheikh Uthameen he said that um, it is narrated from the Prophet and his companions that he would do that with the hands with the hands open so you wouldn't do it like this you wouldn't ha keep your hands closed and wipe you would be wiping with the fingers open okay and and the narration says that they would wipe over the the, the hoof and you could actually see the lines of the wiping yeah and you could see individual lines on top of the hoof itself it was narrated by ibn majah and a few others and imam and no we consider that to be daif and Ibn Hajar said that its chain is da'if jiddan. This narration which shows the lines. Okay. In, in any case, this is what has been uh, narrated. So the principle is, now you might uh, argue, okay then, the hadith is weak. We should keep the fingers closed. Let's have a think about this. Yeah. So you might respond to me now or to Shaykh Uthameen and say, Shaykh Uthameen, you just use a hadith which now we consider to be weak. Ibn Hajar said it's da'if jiddan. No one considered it to be authentic. What would a good answer be? Logic. What's logic? Common sense. Is? What's common sense? Yeah. No, so Sheikh Uthameen is saying that the, we should wipe our fingers open because the Prophet and the companions did that and you could see the separate lines on the 
on the khuf uh, or the sock, yeah? But it's weak. Although the hadith is weak, it, it, it covers the meaning of um, covering the majority. You do that by opening your fingers. That's a good point. When you say the majority, well, but, but in, the, in the narration, in the narration, not, never has there been a statement saying that Prophet ﷺ wiped over the majority. She says wiped over. Although it could be argued that when you say masaha ala khufay, wiped over, then it means the majority. Because when you wipe over something, then it assumes that. There's another thing I want you to say though. In terms of what would you do? Would you do it with fingers closed or fingers open? Is this common sense? What, what's common sense? Natural. What's natural? Correct. The natural default position is fingers closed. And this is not a normal scenario. To close your fingers, we would require an evidence. To close, because that's the natural, the non-natural state. So if you said, no, you've got to do it with closed fingers, we'd say, you know what, brother, bring your evidence. Because the natural state is fingers open. Not like that, but I mean, just normal fingers. Make sense? Yeah? That's just the, that's just the point. So even though the, the, the narration is not very strong, we learn a good principle there in, in fiqh. Okay? Um, not the sole of the foot. Okay? Not the sole of the foot. And um, not the sole of the foot and not the ankle. Now, why the shin? Why the shin? The shin has been mentioned here, okay? Only in order to ensure that up to the ankle is covered. Not The shin is not actually part of anything. So when we say that we are wiping, okay, like this, right? So we start on the, the toes and we wipe upwards towards the shin. The shin in of itself per se is neither part of the washing or the wiping. But when we say up to the shin, then that means that we've covered parallel to the ankle. But we don't wipe on the actual ankle itself because that's not been narrated from the Prophet Is that clear? Question that Sheikh Hudaymin puts out, he goes, what if you are wearing a khuf which is actually bigger than your foot? So I'm talking about a, uh, a khuf which is covering your ankle, but it's bigger outweigh, outweighs, like past your toes. So it's got like extra space this much. So two options, right? You're either going to start from the top of the hoof or you're going to start where your, your, your toes start. Okay? So he goes, if we look to what is obvious, okay? If we look to what is obvious, then we should start from the tip of the hoof and then go up to the top. If we look at... Um, but if we look at what is actually narrated, yani the, the intention behind wiping, then the intention behind the wiping is what? To wipe the foot. Okay? And so therefore, technically speaking, it should be when the toes start to the ankles like this. He goes, of course, if one was wearing something larger than that, it's ahwab to do it from the tip of the uh, hoof. Meaning it's safer and more encompassing. Because... You go that little bit further and you cover both possibilities in terms of fiqh. The zahir and the ma'na. The obvious meaning and the one which actually the intended meaning. And so, But just by going a bit further, you cover both. And again, that brings into play a principle we talked about before. That we always look for al-aslam wal-ahwat. The safest position and the most encompassing, the most widest position. That covers all differences of opinion among scholars. Because we don't want to necessarily restrict ourselves to one person's opinion when a little small action would encompass all four imams' positions, which means that you couldn't possibly make a mistake on the ishtihad that you're making on a certain specific issue. Okay. Um, Shaykh Uthameen goes tambih. He goes, note. Um, he 
he didn't mention about whether a person does it right, left, right together, this, that, whatever. Okay? So what's the sunnah? And this is Sheikh Uthameen's like very strong position. He talks about this a lot. The sunnah of wiping on, on the, the feet is to... I don't know if we can't even show, can we? How can I give an example? Anyway, the point is, is that you just imagine... Imagine, imagine I've got the uh, feet here, okay, and these are my, my fingers. Then it's to wipe at the same time. So just to literally put the fingers on to the toes and wipe up like that. Khalas. Not go, you know, keep spreading, not do two, twice, three times or anything. Just one wipe with, with, with hands. They don't need to be wet soaking, okay, just the normal wetness of whatever it was last time. That dampness is fine. Just onto the, the top and just go up. And that's it. One wipe, no more. The only time that you would wipe right and then left is if you only had one hand or the hand was hurt or something like that. Then you would use your right hand and then you would wipe on the right, then wipe on the left. But if you have got both hands, then it's right and left in one go. Yeah? Yeah. Is it okay to do that? You shouldn't. It's khilaf yani, of what is the basic principle. You see, because right and left, you see some scholars said that no right and left should be applied. Why? The sunnah is to do right and left in what? In wudu. In wudu. But they said, no, it's washing. They said that the right and left is only for washing, no evidence for that to be for the wiping, which is an argument. Okay? They said that the washing of the Prophet was always in the right. It's a bit, it's up in the air. It's a khilaf ishtihad issue. An area where we can differ over because someone could argue and say, what about the Prophet then putting on the sandals? That's not washing. And he used to like putting the right in everything. Okay? So, so that's possible, Yani, that a person can make ishtihad. But here, I think it makes, I think Sheikh Tamim's position is better and safer. Because the Prophet ﷺ has so specifically indicated all of the aspects of wudu and the right and the left, whatever. But in the course, he just mentioned that he wiped over them. And this the nature of the statement that he wiped over them seems to suggest it was done at the same time. So this is my position, the top position. Wipe both at the same time once bang. Okay, if you've got something in your hand or some kind of problem, then right and then left. Okay, right and then left. As for the Jabira, which is the uh, cast, then um, all of it. Okay, because the hadith says, uh, Actually, the Aliha uh, of, the, of the Jabira in the hadith seems to indicate. That it is actually all of it, all of it, under it, over it, everything. It's its own specific category. It's its own specific kind of reality. Uh, someone, uh, someone says, if a question is asked, what if the thing which is being wiped is washed? So this is basically, um, uh, like uh, I don't know. Um, if it is, uh, um, uh, how can I say, um, your hoofs, you got the hoofs on, and then you, instead of like, I don't know, you just have a blonde moment, instead of wiping them, you like wash them. <laughs> okay, which <laughs> is be interesting. He goes, some of the people of knowledge, they said, some of the people of knowledge, they said that, لا يجزئ. It is not. It is something which is not acceptable. Something. And he said that this is not acceptable and it is yani, invalid. 
And why is that? It's invalid because the Prophet because this is not what the Sharia has uh, has brought. The law has not established that. And the Prophet said, of course, in a famous hadith, that whoever does an action, whoever does an action which is not from our actions, it will be rejected. It will be rejected. Hadith Bukhari, hadith very, very, very sahih. And he goes, and he goes also, if you think about it, actually to support this opinion, he goes that if we were to wash it, we've turned the concession into a, into a, into a mission. What was given to us as a mission, we've actually made even worse. Yani we turned the rukhsa ila al-mashakka. We turned the rukhsa, the concession, into a mashakka. He goes, وَقَالَ بَعْضُ الْعُلَمَاءِ He goes, some of the ulama, they said, yani that the, the, uh, the ghasl, the washing, will be acceptable. Meaning that the wudu will be uh, uh, okay. Because it is actually even more complete in, pu- in pur- purification. Um... It's even more. It's even more more complete purification. Sheikh Uthameen goes. He goes. There was a middle opinion as well. What the wasat ilm, He said. Uh, he said. He goes that if a person was doing ghasl, meaning wiping his hands on uh, on the actual thing, then this is something which is not the complete soaking in water or whatever. This is something which is acceptable. It is basically a mas'h. But anyway, all of the ulama are agreed that if a person is wearing something, he's not to wash it. It's not, it's not good to wash it. It's risky to wash it. He should stick to doing the wiping. The wiping? Yeah. All of it, or the majority of it. Uh, the the jabir, uh, the the actual the thing cast, itself. Yeah, the splint, the cast of splint. So, so so hold on, this is now a different part. part yeah. Okay. So you're going back to the previous point now, yeah, because the one we just mentioned was anything which is wiped. Yeah. You know the issue of if you were to wash something which is wiped, that's applying to anything, not applying to the splint per se. No, I'm talking about the splint. Sure. Yeah. So. With the splint, you said you wipe over all of it. Yes. Not the majority of it. Not the majority of it. All right, okay. So, good. Zakhlakh, I forgot to say that. Yeah. So, when we say wipe over it, we don't mean that there's not a single place which is, yani, um, missed out. Because that would be effectively washing. Remember, when we say wipe, when you wipe, you don't wipe like this. That's not wiping. That's like, I don't know what that is. It's like wiping, but it's like rubbing, rubbing or something like that. Yeah. Wipe indicates the yeah, separation of fingers. It indicates a lighter touch. There's got to be some speed involved, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for speed to occur, friction has got to be less, etc., etc., etc. So definitely, I don't think it's... Uh, 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 definitely, there's going to be parts which can be left over, and that's part and parcel of the wiping. When we say all of it, we mean by that underneath its side and not 100% of surface area. That's the point I want to make. Um, open that thing. Over there. Um, right, let's do some questions then. On, um, any more questions in here? Open it all the way. Both these and the other one as well. We've still, we still got half-time analysis as well. It's okay. 
consider hadith from secondary sources like Mishkat? Of course, a hadith is acceptable even from Facebook. Forget about Mishkat al Masabih. Yeah? Secondary sources just mean that someone else has collected the hadith and, and, and narrating it. What's more important for us is that the source of the hadith is mentioned, not where it's read or seen. Mishkat is a collection of a hadith and, um, um, and, and, and sometimes it's mentioned, sometimes it's not. And that's the job. That's that's the reason why they're not so recommended to read, okay? Because um, if you were to read from Bukhari, all of your hadith are referenced, and you know exactly that it's all authentic. If you were to read a book from Riyadh al-Salihin, if you were to say which one do I recommend reading, I say Bukhari, of course, yeah, to study from, not Riyadh al-Salihin, because Riyadh al-Salihin, Imam Muslim, well, uh, uh, not Riyadh al-Salihin, mention yeah, Riyadh al-Salihin. Um, He'll mention some hadith that are not yani, from a Bukhari Muslim and he'll just give the source and you're not even sure if it's authentic or not. That means you've just got that little bit of extra work to go and find out whether the hadith is authentic. But does that mean we shouldn't read Riyadh Salihin? No, of course, you read Riyadh Salihin, you see the hadith, you know that it's sourced somewhere else and then you go and check it out. So Mishkat or a book written contemporary today, these are all places where you can read uh, hadith. But as long as it comes out, once, once you have a collection, which is not Bukhari or not Muslim, then there's always going to be doubt in the authenticity of that collection when it mentions a hadith. Unless, of course, I wrote a book called A.E.'s Collection, right? And I only quoted 30 hadith from Bukhari. Well, then my collection is perfect, isn't it? Because it's only quoting from Bukhari, yep? So that's, that's an exception. But obviously, Mishkat is talking about so many hadith from so many different places. It's a good book. All these books are fine, yep. Usman says, um, does there have to be a logical reason behind why we are told to write on top of the socks? If not, surely logic being the meaning in Ali's statement is fine. Does there have to be a logic? No, there doesn't have to be a logic. We said that it's a matter of, of ta'abud. Yani it's a matter, it's the, same, it's the same question of does there need to be uh, six prayers or as opposed to five or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Did that answer the question? Yeah. Sahani says, um, what I am still confused about and couldn't ask last time is why do we have to wipe over socks if we are in a state of ablution from water? Whether we take it off and put it back on, why do we still have to wipe the sock? Is it because it might be dirty or what? No. Because you're still dirty. I think the question is asking maybe is that wiping why do you have to do it i think you should make clear that physical and it, spiritual no i think in terms of if you only wipe if you break if you break rule, he, he thinks that even if you wash your foot put your sock on you still have to wipe oh right if it's what the lads here are explaining which is what you're understanding that we have to wipe the sock just because you put a sock on then i've 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 not clarified that and uh definitely there's misunderstanding going on but make it very very clear the whole chapter to do with mas'h, of, of wiping, is only if you've broken your wudu. Okay? So, uh, to Tahani specifically, I'm speaking here now. If you were to make your wudu, if I was to make my wudu, alright, I'm done now. Washed everything, washed my feet and everything now, okay? And I put socks on. I don't need to do anything. That's it. I'm in wudu, and my socks are on, and um, I can now go and, you know, carry on and do my rest of my day and pray and everything. When I come back home, I can take my socks off and have a shower. And that's it, it's fine. The whole chapter of the wiping on the socks is a concession. It's a favor from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which is basically saying that if at 12 o'clock at lunchtime, um, you had the socks on, now, out of Allah's favor and mercy to you, 
you're allowed to actually, instead of having to take your socks off to wash them while you're making wudu, instead when it comes to the feet, just wipe over the socks. That's what we're talking about, Duhani. We're talking about, we're not saying that if you put socks on and you still have wudu, you've got to wipe over them. No, no, no. We're saying that if you have if you have wudu and you put your socks on and you don't break your wudu, you just carry on as great. But if you were to break your wudu and you and you wanted to t- take your socks off, and let's say that you went to a masjid, you broke on your wudu and you want to make wudu again, well, you take your socks off, obviously, and you make wudu and that's fine. But imagine you're at work and you want to make wudu, you have to make wudu because it's time for dhuhr and you don't have wudu. And you now need to make wudu. You put socks on in the morning, four or five hours ago. After you made wudu, you put your clean socks on. So now at lunchtime, you need to make wudu at work. You don't want to now take your socks off. You've been mission. You know, the whole sink thing and everything. So now you make all of your wudu right up until washing the feet. But you don't wash your feet. All you do is wipe over your socks. That's what the concession is. Needs to be or is it all so what did we say about that? We covered that. We had a whole session on that. A whole lesson. A whole lesson. We talked about the ruling of tayammum. We talked about the ruling of uh, what happens if it's if it's uh, if it's um, uh, covered. If the wound is covered or not, or this or that. So I'm going to say to that person, they need to go back and find that session. Because that's the, no, otherwise there's no, no, no need for anyone to study anything. Uh, there was a one whole lesson, maybe four, five, six lessons ago, whatever. I don't know how many lessons ago. right? Where we explained the whole session just on that ruling. If you have an area which is hurt, what are the rulings? You need to go back and check that out. It'll be good for you. I'm doing that as, as a favor to you. Because you going back and reading that, that, whole, that whole session, everything again. Will 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 make you make sure you learn the issue properly. Yeah. Usman says in regards to his previous question, what I was getting at with my previous question was that if there isn't necessarily a logical reason behind what why we are told to wipe on top of the socks, then surely the meaning of ray being logic in Ali's statement isn't a problem. Correct. He's right. If we are happy to say that everything which is doesn't make sense to us is a um, is a spiritual matter from the divine then yes we could take the meaning of the hadith as uh, or the narration as uh, common sense and logic and it would work and your answer is correct you're right but what we're trying to say is that actually we believe that everything from the religion is a matter of common sense we believe that it is correct and it is according to the intellect and what I mean by that is for example the prayer five times a day if we sit and think about it long enough we'll find the logical reason why it's five times a day. That it's a breaking up the day into manageable parts to make sure that you remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at key moments. Waking up in the morning and blessing your morning with it, we've seen how a difference it makes. Someone who doesn't pray for one who prays for Closing off the day with a prayer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes all the sense. You could make so many arguments. Just, just obligating wudu in a hot country at lunchtime, a person might not be praying, right? And he'd still like the opportunity of just going to make wudu. Meaning if you really sit down there and think hard enough, you could think of reasons for everything and anything. What we want to say is that this religion, uh, what we're scared of with that uh, narration, uh, Uthman, is to translate it in a way that, intense, that, 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 that indicates to the reader that this religion is not based upon common sense. Or that it's not based upon logic. Actually, our deen is perfectly logical, perfect sense. And, um, but it's not 
what immediately seems obvious. Because a lot of things, when you think about it, like, and that's why when you think about what I just explained, if this religion was based upon what seems obvious, then we would have wiped the bottom of the foot, okay? Because actually when we think about it, right, we're doing wudu, which is purification, and we're cleaning, which means the bottom of the dirty part. But then we stop and we say to ourselves, hold on, actually, this is not purification, this is ritual ablution, which is different. So after thinking just a little bit more than what's obvious, we recognize, actually, you wouldn't. And so therefore, the logic is not a good translation, it's what seems obvious. Yes, it is an, an acceptable approach, uh, Mariam. I, I advise you to go back to, I don't know when, but I think you may be with the first lesson of Mas'h, where I explained in that that the ruling of, of Mas'h can differ. Was it the first lesson? Yeah, the, 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 a consensus that is something that's part of the deen, and it's a sunnah. A certain, I, I said that basically it's something which is permissible to do, and it's something sunnah to do if yani, uh, people are doubting it. And when the action has been left by the people, then it becomes an obligation to revive. Does that make sense, Mariam? That it all depends upon the time and context of the people. If, for example, I'm in a community where everyone's rejecting the action, it becomes an obligation upon me to prove to the people what the sunnah is. That's a rare scenario, okay? But if everyone accepts it, everyone is seeing it here and there, then, then you, and you say to yourself, well, I'd rather, I'd rather wash my feet and, uh, because there's no need, then that's acceptable. Some scholars, of course, said no, that, that, that that's not correct. They said that the Prophet ﷺ, there's no proof that he only wiped on his sock out of yani, seeking a concession. Some said it was in a normative scenario. So there is difference of opinion upon that. In my opinion, I think it's acceptable for a person to say to himself, you know what it is? I see it as a concession. I feel it as a concession. And I'd rather just wipe, uh, I'd rather wash. And that, that opinion is even stronger if the thing you're going to wipe on is a sock and not a hoof. Because we said before that there are scholars that don't accept wiping on a sock. They said it's got to be thick and got to be leather-like. So if you were to doing it to keep in the safe side and not maintain uh, any doubt, this is very good. Of course it's very good. Then you, and you wash your feet only because you don't want to get on the wrong side of the other three imams or whatever. Well, this is good. This is the right kind of attitude. All right. I'm getting the signals, everybody. The death threats and the signs. Second half starting. Jazakumullah khair, guys. I'll see you, inshallah, for the last lesson next week. Subhanakallahum bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha ilaha wa astaghfirukallahum wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.